Yes. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky too. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who and in a co-production with Discussing Trek, we are back for another episode. And who are we? I am Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome back the captain of Discussing Trek, Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? Uh, Turns out I'm just a cadet, and I've been scrubbing the bulkheads all day, so that's kind of my job. But yeah, thank you, man. I'm I'm glad to be back, guys. Uh, it's, it's good to be back on another episode on this joint production. So yeah, can't wait to get into it. Indeed, indeed. And I would like to also welcome back a gentleman who exceeds his own continuum into the time vortex he goes. Because why is he going into a time vortex? Because as of this recording, he is mere days away from taking a holiday, meaning that we are going to be on holiday for a couple of weeks of recording. And who is he? Lee Shackelford. That's who. Lee, how are you? I'm starting to sound like Will Wheaton. Okay. (laughs) Howdy. Howdy, howdy. How are you? I'm glad that Clarence has been uh, doing the cadet work because we're nothing without the people. Oh, (laughs) just saying. Good one, Mm. Mr. Traveler, sir. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? If I were saying, let me just say this real quick. I would say that maybe just a step up from that lower decks, maybe if I were going to take a journey, I might go on a long road to Enterprise, uh, just a step up from Lower Decks. Yep, getting from there to here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just sing it? Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. No. Okay. Right. So welcome, welcome to you both. And, you know, for everyone listening right now, you're expecting Discussing Who, and you're wondering why are we talking Star Trek? Why? Because tonight, what we wanted to do, I basically stole an idea that Clarence had just in a conversation I'm saying that I stole it because he's on this with me and, you know, he can steal it back as he wishes. But that said, we were talking after recording last week, thinking about what we wanted to talk about. And the topic that we came up with just in conversation was discussing how Doctor Who and Star Trek both have a classic series and a resurgent series. And we thought that that would be an interesting topic to explore. But before we do that, we have some news. Gentlemen, Doctor Who News released as of this recording this past Sunday, Catherine Tate, David Tennant, Dr. Donna, 60th anniversary, Lee Shackelford. Thoughts? I am hoping that we're going to pick them up somehow out of their timeline before Donna becomes the Dr. Donna. I don't know. That's, that's just my personal hope about this, but, but I'm delighted that we're going to get to see uh, a, a favorite doctor and a favorite companion, uh, both in the 60th anniversary. And I, I think I was saying to somebody the other day that that means that David Tennant will be the first doctor to have done two anniversary shows, but that's not true. John Pertwee was in uh, three and five. Indeed, as was Patrick Troughton. And Patrick Troughton was in <laughs> was in the two doctors as well. Ooh. He did three. Yeah, he did three. So yeah. So never mind. Anyway, it's it's still it's just gonna be great. And we, we just have no idea what's gonna happen in this uh this special. So I, I hope it's a it's a fathom theater event. Oh again where we, we can Yeah. Is the special a Chibnall production or Oh, absolutely a... not. Oh, right. okay. Huh. Now, this is produced by the letters R-T-D. So this is part of the passing of the torch. Mm. Oh, boy. Now I'm even more excited. <laughs> yeah. Mm. David Tennant, Catherine Tate, and Shooty. Mm. Yes, so far. So... And we don't know who else except... For Yasmin, not Khan. <laughs> Yasmin Finney. And Rose, not Tyler. Wait. Wait. Well, <laughs> the, the the headline that I have here on uh, one of the websites is Heartstopper Breakout Yasmin Finney joins Doctor Who as Rose. 
That's what it says. A character named Rose, the BBC announced on Monday. Her role will debut in 2023 with the show's 60th anniversary. Mm. Interesting. And RTD was one of the people being interviewed about that. And he says, life on Doctor Who just gets brighter and wilder. How can there be another Rose? The thing, <laughs> the thing that came to my mind is the fact that Chibnall introduced or maybe took the whole multi, he didn't introduce, but he took the whole multiverse idea to a entire different level, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. So are we possibly going to explore that a little bit? Maybe the multiverse of madness? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> How about we are, she is uh, from a little bit in our future, you know, what, 2040 or something. And she is the daughter of Mickey and Martha. Ooh. 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 Oh, I really, really, really like that. Huh. Let me just add another really to that. That works. Oh, that is too I, I can't imagine Martha being on board with naming their daughter Rose. <laughs> so I'm shooting my own theory down. I'm playing devil's name. No, Martha <laughs> is above that. Martha is above that. I, I, Martha's the coolest of the cool. Yes. I, I actually really like that. <laughs> we'll see you know mm. Clarence I know you said when you heard RTD excited but just re- regarding seeing 10 and Donna again thoughts on just them themselves of course it's going to be interesting to see them come back and I agree with Lee's um, Lee's talking point of saying that you know hopefully they're taken out of one <laughs> in between one of the episodes we've seen from the past and brought over it's always going to be interesting how they explain them coming over and, and entering into this special. But, you know, I don't know if I'm that excited to see uh, <laughs> David and Catherine Tate. I really want to see Eccleston return. That that would be my mm. hope. That would really get me excited. But who knows? Mm. We'll see. I'm sure the door is open. Yeah. You know, I would be happy seeing Eccleston hands down. I really, really liked the Ninth Doctor, but you know I am a big Donna Noble fan. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a big David Tennant fan. But what popped into my head when I saw the news was Clarence, when you and I were at Pensacon a couple of years ago, or several years ago now, and we were seeing Catherine Tate on stage, and we, the thing that we took away from that was. We didn't get the feeling that she really, as an actor, realized how much the fans loved Donna Noble. And I hope now she, in the years since, especially with her coming back, realizes how much her contribution to the canon of Doctor Who was appreciated or is appreciated. Yeah, she's certainly going to be coming back with a different perspective, appreciating the character a whole lot more. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see her performance. Uh, I want to see if they just snap back into that old uh, <laughs> uh, frame, old mindset that they had back then uh, portraying those characters. We've seen David Tennant do it before, but, you know, it'll be interesting seeing a companion come in from this far removed to jump back into the same character. In regards to your speculation, both of your speculations of will this be out of time Will this be future time? A lot of things that I've seen online has been, will this be an opportunity to go back and not necessarily correct, not undo, but make good on Donna's ending, meaning that in some way she gets the memories back. Do we have a problem with that or would we be okay with that? Guys, what do you think? I got a problem with that. It is precisely because the end of the Donna Noble story is so heartbreakingly tragic. It, one of the one of my complaints about the show, and spoilers for people who are listening to us, and, and you know watching these current seasons, the Peter Capaldi's along with us, is that characters die sometimes nobly, yeah, and then we bring them back. To me, that negates their sacrifice, and. To say more is to 
do spoilers for future episodes, but that really, really rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't know. It, it, it just bugs me. And if we undid this most poetic and um, gloriously a tra- tragic thing, then I don't know. It, it, it demotes her status, I think. That's me. Well, we've already seen that we can have a Donna return without her memories. And who's to say she couldn't True. meet the doctor and for, again for the first time? so to speak. Yeah. That yeah. that's possible. Although the well, we we were we were told there's a danger of her memories being triggered. Yeah. And we don't want that no. because we it would it would kill her. We were told. We were told. But um, I, I I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe we would see her paired with fourteen and the difference ooh. of the incarnation <laughs> might ooh. negate that memory thing the only reason i'm kind of dwelling on that is i accidentally saw and this could just be a visitor but i accidentally just in going through instagram saw a picture of another actor associated with donna and the filming scene looked to be people in pandemic or post-pandemic mode so that's what made me think and and that actor you could tell had aged in the time since i'm not going to say who it was but if you've you know if you're a fan of series four then you will definitely know who i'm talking about that said i do think we may see not only donna we may see somebody else and if we do awesome that would be so freaking awesome So, gentlemen, why don't we get into the reason that we are here tonight, which is discussing both Doctor Who and Star Trek, old and new, specifically or in particular about how these are franchises envisioned, created in the 60s, at some point in their history, canceled for a period of time, and then both saw a resurgence at some point. So I want to take discussing Trek or Star Trek first and ask all three of us to answer the question, when did you first become a fan and how of Star Trek? And Clarence, I'll start with you since you're the host of discussing Trek. How did you first discover Star Trek? Oh man. Of course I caught some of the reruns when I was growing up a bit younger but I really just didn't get into it to start watching, you know, every episode I could. It wasn't really until I started to get a little bit into TNG, but again, not just uh, watching all the time, but it wasn't until DS9 where I really, really start to gravitate towards Star Trek and, and get into the stories and get into the characters. Of course, uh, Commander Sisko was one of the things that attracted me. But um, once I really got into what it was and the type of stories they were trying to tell, uh, I really, really started to gravitate toward, toward the franchise. So it had to be the the late TNG DS9 era where I really started to to get into it. And, and I think the first series other than DS9 that I really loved had to be Voyager, which I know is shawned by a lot of people but <laughs> that that series was my heart ser- truly so yeah that's that's kind of my story <laughs> my mom and dad were had been watching tv commercials and had seen ads for something called star trek that that they thought they would all enjoy they were encouraging my my love when i was five and years old <laughs> of uh, astronomy and science you know so this looked good and so i sat next to my mother on the sofa and watched Man Trap when it aired the first time. So I I have always thought of myself as being one of the senior class of, <laughs> uh, or the first graduating class of, of Trekkers. Thanks to Facebook, I've si- since gotten to be friends with uh, Chris Hunter, son of Jeffrey, whose dad was coming home, you know, and telling him stories about this TV pilot that he's shooting and 
Yeah, Chris was so he was just all about it. He was like, "This is going to be great. My dad's going to be the captain of a starship, and it's going to be uh, you know." So uh, Chris calls himself the first trekker, and I I think we got to give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm right in there behind him from the beginning, and the I always think the great irony in my uh, growing career as a writer is that that first episode was written by George Clayton Johnson, and. Many decades later, I'd have the honor of working with George Clayton Johnson on a project that I can't even talk about. Um, but, you know, that's life, man. That's life when you have ascended into the whatever you have ascended into. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> right. I just mean miracles, miracles happen. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so for me, I will admit, as a small child of the 70s, I was more into the big thing of the time, late 70s Star Wars, than I was Star Trek. Obviously, it was in rerun syndication at the time. There, of course, had been the Saturday morning cartoon, which I was completely oblivious to, didn't know. Hmm. It was not until TNG, honestly, that I began my Star Trek trek. And immediately fell in love. First episode, you know, I can remember going, I think it was on, a, I think it was on, on Monday nights at seven or eight. And I would go, you know, religiously, Star Trek, Star Trek. So I was a fan, you know, first run TNG fan. And then, of course, yes, the, you know, here comes Deep Space Nine. Here comes Voyager and Clarence. I share the same love with Voyager that you do. Because I loved Voyager. I loved Janeway. And where I lived, it stopped being aired on Saturday nights as it was aired. uh, Probably after the second or third series. So it wasn't until Netflix came along that I was able to see it on DVD and watch etc. and so forth. So that's probably how I got started with Star Trek. So let's switch and let's ask the question, how did you first interact or become a fan with Doctor Who? Lee, tell us the story. And you know the story, but I'll tell it again. I um, was um, in the drugstore uh, looking for the latest issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine that I adored when I was 12, 13 years old. And, of course, I've outgrown such things. I have them all on DVD now. But uh, there was a, a spread in there about a show in the UK that we don't see in the US. And I was kind of intrigued by that. There was, and it was called Doctor Who, D-R period Who. And there was a picture of a, uh, an, a handsome young man and a pretty young girl. And they are confronted by a giant ant. <laughs> I've always loved anything miniature, anything gigantic. That's a that's a thing about me. I love perfect, you know, when it's perfect miniature, when everything when scales correct. And so I was just immediately captivated by that and read the article and they talked about how the doctor uh, sometimes changes faces. I didn't quite follow that. <laughs> but I understood, you know, growing up with the kind of hero of fiction that I have, that the hero of a show is going to be a handsome young man, a handsome young white man, I may add. So I saw that guy in the picture and I said, that must be Doctor Who. And uh, it, it was not until I actually finally saw more about the series years later before I learned that's one of his first companions. Mm. <laughs> that's Ian. And the uh, the girl that he's with is not his girlfriend. That is uh, the doctor's granddaughter. <laughs> so what the heck? Anyway. And then, yet years later, I would finally see that episode that that still came from, and I learned that there that's not a giant ant. They're very small. <laughs> the ant is normal size. Also, that it's dead. I didn't know that. But um, I always like to say the happy ending of that story is that I, I, I made a print of that still, uh, a handsome print, and took it to the Gallifrey Convention one year when William Russell was there. And... Um, you know, he's getting up in years now. And I, he autographed that photograph for me. So that's my closure on the my introduction to Doctor Who. Oh, man, my introduction. So I have to admit, when I was young, I was 
watching Doctor Who and I didn't really know what it was on PBS. Oh. So I can't tell you what the first Doctor story is I ever saw, but it was a randomly seeing it on PBS as a child because I remember asking my mom about it. Uh, I always get that confused between Doctor Who. I think Lost in Space used to maybe run on PBS at the time. And so, yeah, I, I didn't get into it at the time. But several years later, I was working at a call center where I, my boss was a person named Cal Jones. And he and this other guy, I think the guy's name was Lester, if I remember correctly, used to always talk about Doctor Who. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are these guys talking about? And it wasn't until a bit later when I reconnected with Cal that I started to just get into the series. And and, and from that point on, I've, I've been hooked mostly with New Who, although as we you tell from listening to our reviews, we do occasionally dive into classic. But I'm mostly a New Who guy, and that's all due to Mr. Jones over there. Awesome. Yes, and I had completely forgot about that first part of the story. I only remember the second part of the story. So I'm actually glad that we're doing this or going down memory lane because for everyone listening, that's probably heard this story before. You've probably not heard this first part that I recently somehow uncovered as a memory. I started Clarence like you with PBS and my first doctor was, as I would call him, the man in the box with the big scarf and the big hair. So didn't know his name was doctor or whatever. I just remember he was the man in the box with the big scarf and the big hair. I remember having a scarf that looked like the scarf that I have now. But I also remember my grandfather. And this is the memory that I just recently, like I said, unearthed for some reason. And my grandparents owned this little store. People have probably heard me mention a lot of the things that they would get coming into the store would be in huge boxes. So I will say that my grandfather, who put me on a pedestal and pretty much gave me everything I wanted, basically made me a blue box. It was a box Mm -hmm. that was made out of cardboard that had a door cut into it. But in my brain, I went to places, time and space. He also made me, bought me a trash can too, I will add, because (laughs) watching Sesame Street, I liked Oscar, and yes, as a little five or six, seven-year-old child, I would get in the trash can and pretend I was Oscar, but anyway. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm being honest. That's great. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm loving every bit of this, because uh, I've always had a special place in my heart for Oscar, too. Right? Uh, yeah. How about that? So, yeah, I would go hide, especially if my... I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I'm going to. There was a sister of my mother. She had three sisters, and there was one that I favored less than the other two. And I would go hide in my trash can sometimes if she (laughs) came by, and I didn't want to go anywhere with her. So there you go. And you come out and say, scram. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, gentlemen, I purposely wanted to ask this question because I wanted us to relive What made this franchise or both of these franchises special to us, whether they were young memories, old memories, both memories, whatever. I wanted us to kind of share and relive those. So here's my next question. Why do you think that both of these properties and Clarence, I'll point this to you first. Why do you think both of these properties existed almost 60 years ago, but still exist 60 years later. Basically, what is enduring about these? As we get into, you know, what I'm considering is a series that it's harkening back to all those things that made the the original as well as the 80s, 90s series great, great in Strange New Worlds. I think it's just the great storytelling, man. Great storytelling, great characters, uh, and and that is present in both. I think about some of the stories that really make you think. I think you have that in Doctor Do- Doctor Who as well as Star Trek. So I think it's just great writing in the stories as well as characters that you can really latch on to. I think both of these franchises really has that. Now, 
if you're talking about what makes them endure, uh, it's kind of hard <laughs> because of course the first Star Trek went away and came back by popular demand, but really what has made it endure? That's, that's a pretty hard question. And maybe one of you guys can enlighten me on that. And maybe there's no right, and I don't think there is, I, there is no right or wrong answer here, but Lee, what do you think? Yeah, I, I doubt seriously that there's a single right answer, but I I do agree completely with Clarence that um, Star Trek has always been at its best when it had a great story to tell. And certainly that's true of Doctor Who as well. That um, I, I, Part of my memory of being a, a Who fan in the 80s when you know our our sole source of access was PBS, that I would have friends who might be in the house, you know, and just sort of sit down for a second and say, "How can you watch this?" What they were seeing was the production values. What do they say? The wobbly sets and the NAF monsters and so on. And I said, because they're short on <laughs> they're short on cash, so they make up for it with good ideas. Mm. And I just continually admire the fact that instead of just saying, well, you know, clearly the show doesn't matter. <laughs> so let's just forget it and do whatever we want. But the commitment always from the beginning was no matter how limited our resources get, we're going to keep trying to tell um, intelligent stories that don't insult the intelligence of the audience and, and, and ask questions, you know, to, to really make people think about things maybe that they haven't thought about before. It's just, I, I respect that commitment so much. Mm. Um, the only thing I could think of that even comes into the same neighborhood as Star Trek for that in terms of 60s television would be the Twilight Zone. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. For the same reason. So this is why I think, Clarence, you were utterly brilliant by making this idea and hatching this idea because we've often, or at least I've often wondered, speculated, you know, what's the difference between the British way with the BBC? And I know, you know, there's the reality of we are a commercial-based television system in the U.S. where there is currently, as of this recording, the BBC with the tax or the fee that you pay, and it, and there's no commercials on BBC proper the way we have them here. And would Doctor Who and Star Trek be a good example of when the monetary gets into the way of the story, whereas with the original run of Doctor Who, we go from 1963 to 1989. The original run of Star Trek for the original series goes from 1966 to 1969 thoughts guys is this a good example of when and let me say this real quick too if you want to go production values i think star trek the original series production values was a lot better than doctor who's run in that year in that in that time frame so is this a good example and what are what are your thoughts as to what i'm presenting either Hmm. I, I think it can also be now we always talk about Doctor Who as being tea time being for the kids whereas Star Trek uh, maybe you can help me out here Lee I, I assume it was originally geared toward adults <laughs> it always has been yeah it was in prime time yeah, yeah I, I feel like at least with Star Trek if it wasn't hitting immediately and bringing in a big audience it's going to lead the execs to think, oh, this might not be a viable show. Now, obviously, they didn't give enough, get it, give it enough time. And they started to, speaking of budget, they started to pull back on the budget near its in its last season. Yeah, I think to make a cheap kids show is maybe a lot more viable for the BBC. And like I said, the public funding kind of gives it more uh, runway as far as being popular or not. Now, obviously, we know it's very popular, too. So uh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Yeah, one of the things about the cost factor analysis of those two shows that I've thought about often is that if you're doing an episode of the original Star Trek series and the script says, this week we're on a mini R7, okay, 
And at one point, we're going to go into the hall of computers that run the planetary war for this whole system. Okay, that means we got to build that. Nice. Oh, they're being held in a in a jail cell now. We got to build that too. You yeah. know, on and on it goes with some of these episodes. And no wonder their budget was always strained. No wonder they were always going over schedule and things like that. On a Doctor Who, we're we're going to do a half hour a week, but we're going to spread the story out sometimes over six oh, episodes. Yes. Then let's find that location on this island over here, and we'll say, well, and these sets we're going to build. That's the jail cell where they're holding the master. And then we need this office over here for these people who are supposed to be watching the island. What else are we going to build? Nothing. We're done. Ooh, and I've got an idea. I don't know if they've done this before. How about a rock quarry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and I'm sure I'm talking about sea devils, of course, and I'm sure that, that a lot of that was expensive. They also, to be fair, they built the interior of a submarine, too. I'm, I'm just, you know, but but so much of it was shot outdoors so much of it on found locations so much of it with the with the help of the royal navy and and so on but yeah but that covered six weeks of that series for them and star trek was was banging this out every week it at a time when we when for us a season was 23 episodes yikes which seems staggering to us now yeah you know yeah there's there's in some ways there's no comparison but i think we're talking about their popularity that I think part of what happened with, certainly with Star Trek, and maybe this is true with who, at least for Americans as well, was that Star Trek just got bludgeoned in the ratings. And I didn't know until reading these the books, um, These Are the Voyages, which I recommend to any fan of the original series, that their biggest competition was the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, man. That's what they kept being scheduled against. And it was the most popular comedy show, well, for a long time, it was the most popular t- uh, comedy TV show ever, and it, you know it was only a half hour long, but it was a, but the first half of Star Trek was up against that. So maybe people would change the channel then, but they'd see the last half of the episode. Yeah, and then there was a TV movie on the other network that was scheduled every week. So depending what that movie was, people might not even give a thought. And depending on what time that was, somebody right. may more be more likely to miss 30 minutes of the movie of the week and watch the majority of the movie than come in on the second half of a one-hour TV show. Right. And just be bewildered and say, this show makes no sense, and what is wrong with that guy's ears? And we had markets like um, the one I grew up in where they didn't show who mourns for Adonis because Apollo claims to be God. And we didn't show Plato's stepchildren because William Shatner and Michelle Nichols kissed. And, yeah... So we had, we, we had some local affiliates who would pull shows out of rotation. Some, so so we had that. But but then this show went into daily reruns, and PBS found that so many of their people loved Doctor Who that they could show an episode every weekday. Yeah. So at one time in my life, I was watching a Star Trek every weekday afternoon, and then I would watch a Doctor Who every weeknight. <laughs> you know? And that's just me, of course, but that was a whole lot of people who had a long period of time then to get on board and to sort of say, what, what's what's all the fuss about? This thing is on every day. And, that, and now you don't treat shows in reruns like that anymore. So there was this great opportunity in TV history for a show that, that you know, Star Trek might have vanished utterly if not for the reruns and people really getting excited about the show long after it had been canceled. Another interesting tidbit of trivia you mentioned, you know, um, I believe Jeffrey Hunter, is that the gentleman's name that played the original mm-hmm. Captain Pike? Right. So the interesting thing there with Star Trek and Doctor Who, both have a pilot that was then reshot differently that went on mm-hmm. to then birth the episode, which That's right. never normally doesn't happen. If you get one pilot, you're lucky to get that. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing I can add real quick, and this more, I guess, more of a production thing. One thing we can thank God uh, for, that the Star Trek folks did, and uh, Desi Lou, if I'm getting that correct, is that they shot everything on film. Yeah. And of course, they've gone back and remastered it. There are episodes mm-hmm. of TOS that look better than DS9 and Voyager 
which they have not remastered. That's right. Those episodes yeah. look impeccable. <laughs> yeah, which, it's glorious. Which is just amazing when you think about Doctor Who and Kyle, maybe you could talk about it, but we don't have the full collection of the classic episodes. Yep. You know, the opposite of doing on film is taking <laughs> the reels and wiping them to reuse them to save money. That's the opposite. Just oh, the man. opposite. Exactly. And you know, you, you name check Desilu and you know, that is literally the truth that when they were making I Love Lucy and Desi was the producer, Desi Arnaz, he said, we're going to shoot this on film. And pretty much everybody else who had a finger in this pie said, why? That's going to cost so much more. And he said, because believe me, years from now, people are going to want to watch the show again. Smart man. And I think a lot of people thought he was nuts, but his wife knew he would. She, she was super smart, you know, and she, she backed him up. And so, you know, pretty much everybody else said, well, they, they, they're the stars and they're putting their own money in this. So, and look Let's at do and it. look at and and it's interesting you say that you go and watch an episode of I Love Lucy today and other mm-hmm. than being in black and white looks great yeah yeah yep he knew yeah and, and so that became part of the Desi Lou brand was to shoot everything on film for that reason and so that's why we have Star Trek looking good today and that's why we have Mission Impossible looking good today let me ask you guys this you know we have Star Trek who even while Doctor Who is continuing on the air in the UK, we see a resurgence of Star Trek caused by what you guys have just described, the fan base that's growing, seeing the interest, and bottom line, there was a bottom line, and Paramount wanted to make the bottom line matter, so they create the movie franchise for Star Trek. We've never seen, other than seeing episodes or special events of Doctor Who in theaters. We've never seen Doctor Who in theaters. We've seen Star Trek. Well, DR Who? Oh, well, that's yeah, true. We, but I don't call we that We did canon. see the parallel universe Who, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but that was a deal that the BBC made with, with Hammer to to expand their brand. Good point. And it is part of history. And, and, Good and it, point. It is. It's, uh, and, you know, and it gives us Bernard Cribbins, <laughs> but, but yeah, so you kind of did get Doctor Who in the theaters, but anyway, your point is well taken. Why do you think, other than that, alternate reality, multiversal, wibbly wobbly, <laughs> whatevers, why do we think that we've never had, and would we even want a big screen Doctor Who? Would we want to see that? I think I would. I, I always think of... I always think of Day of the Doctor as being a, a theatrical film. It's it's shot like one, and I saw it in the theater. And you know, I just I just feel like if you were going to make a Doctor Who movie, it would have to be that. And and we got it. Hmm. So it's weird. I mean, it was that's not how it was intended, but but I'm very glad of it. That works for me. Yeah, I I think there's room for you know have spinoff a Doctor Who stories that go that go to the movies. Again, I think it all goes back to the story being good. I think they have the chance to expand on the universe in that way. I don't know if they will, but I think it could be a good opportunity given the right the right uh the right story. Yeah. You know, we've often wondered or speculated or asked for thought of whatever you want to call it, seeing maybe more eight doctor seeing maybe more of whatever you know fill in the blank sort of a la big finish audio as long as we had it by the same umbrella that makes that whatever that is the current incarnation of who whoever may be the showrunner at the time if it's under that umbrella then i don't think i would have a problem with it but if it wasn't under that umbrella, would you get the same thing? I don't know. It, if the circumstances were right, well, maybe. No, I think um, we've accidentally brought up the historical precedent because that's what happened with the Peter Cushing movies. That was supposed to be a direct follow-on from the series. And as soon as another producer got involved, they said, well, look, this is our movie. We'll make it however we want. Well, you can't do that. It's Doctor Who. Well, look, we, he's got a time machine. They're going to... There'll be Daleks. It's it's Doctor Who. Just don't bother us. 
but Susan is eight years old. <laughs> yeah, well, that ticks the boxes. You know, we, that's the audience we want to come to. Oh, he's not. A, he's just a grandfather, and he built it in his yeah, garage. Yeah, he's a human, and he calls it TARDIS. Yes. Also, Ian is an idiot. With, <laughs> what? Wait, and they said, look, it's our movie. Yeah. It's our movie. You gave, you signed the contract. Mm. So, yeah, and I think that's some of, one of the things that makes Star Trek and Doctor Who special versus some of these other franchises that have endured, but they've endured mm. with full reboots. You know, we've somehow managed to have Doctor Who have the same continuity uh, throughout all its existence and as well as Star Trek for the most part. So that's very interesting that these two franchises, having been around so long, have been able to to maintain that. I think that's a very hard endeavor to, <laughs> to accomplish. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think of, of Battlestar Galactica, you know, it's a myriad of other Knight Rider, what a, just random stuff that they've rebooted over the years. And, like, uh, you know, that was here for a second, now it's gone. We've been able to keep yeah. the same canon all these years, and that's a miracle unto itself. Yeah, it is. So it really is. why do you guys think that we've had, you know, let's take Battlestar Galactica for, for a good example. Does it say that there was something wrong with the original premise, that it didn't work, that it had to be re-envisioned so that it became a phenomenon for a while? Does that speak to anything? Look at how many times they've tried to, and this isn't sci-fi, but it's another franchise. Look at how many times they've tried to reintroduce Charlie's Angels in different ways from television mm -hmm. to movies, some with great success, some with utter failure. Why do we think that these two can be envisioned differently for the old and the young? And, and for examples, for Trek, we have had Deep Space Nine, the animated series back in the 70s, Whoa. Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Prodigy, Lower Decks. For who? We had K-9 and Company, that one-episode pilot with K-9 and Sarah Jane, Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, and Class. And the Australian K-9. And the Australian K-9, yes. Forgot Ooh. about that. Why do we think these can keep not only their main identity alive, but sprout roots and sprout limbs and just branch mm -hmm. off in these various ways to their own extensions that people love differently, but the same thoughts? Yeah, why are we still doing the works of a, a playwright who's been dead for 400 years? Uh, um, you know, the people ask that a lot, but we, but we all feel like we know the answer because he wrote about themes that are universal. There are things about human nature that don't change and are still worth exploring. And so you write a play about that, then it's got longevity. People will still want to do it hundreds of years later, even after the language itself has changed so much that it's, that the place becomes foreign, you know? Mm. And I think Who and Trek both deal with universal themes that we we want the central characters to behave ethically, uh. and we want to see them solve problems with their minds and their hearts. Would you agree with that, mm. Clarence? Yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. And it's something I get from Star Trek. I don't, I don't know if something's wrong with me, but when there's a good story that has <laughs> a resolution and maybe we get a message somehow in the storytelling, there's a warm, fuzzy feeling that that comes in my heart <laughs> when we see the final scenes of the episode. And that's something that Star Trek gives that is really just, I don't need, I re seldomly get it from who, to be honest, but <laughs> it, yeah, it yeah. is something about yeah. the, the, Lee's talking about the, the need to do the right thing in these stories. And I'll also add that, and I'll throw Star Wars in there, as a matter of fact, but I'll add mm -hmm. a central lore that's so strong that it can be built upon and expanded yeah, and, mm. and reintroduced to new generations. Uh, I, I just feel like the central lore of, of Doctor Who is, is just the ideas 
there of this alien that can live forever and travel all the space and time, you can run with that. <laughs> and they have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I have one more question that I want to ask, but I want to say this before, well, actually before I forget it, but the interesting <laughs> part of this conversation with the answer that the both of you just gave, in many ways, your answer came full circle. And what I mean by that is when we're talking about what makes them special at the beginning and then coming back at the end and asking the question in a way that we just did, possibly I asked the same question two different ways twice, maybe. But in my brain, what I'm hearing is how we start with what made us fall in love with these characters equals why we say that they are still around, they're still being successful, they're having all these spinoffs. It's the fact that they have good writing and good characters. That's what I'm getting for this. But since this is discussing who that we are recording on tonight, they are discussing who are discussing who recording night, I want to ask a question. And actually, I will ask it with Star Trek The Next Generation as well. We knew from the very beginning of Star Trek The Next Generation that it was a continuation. It was not a reboot. This was not a new Captain Kirk. We knew that this was set in the future, etc. and so forth. Continuation, same universe. Christopher Eccleston was the ninth Doctor. He was not the first Doctor again. Question to you both, and Clarence, I'll start with you. If in that episode of The Next Generation, if it would have just been Star Trek again, and you would have had at that time, and I know we've got Strange New Worlds now, but at that time, if we would have had a reboot of Star Trek, and likewise, if the Doctor had have been the first Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, would we still today be talking about both of those series? What do you think? So I think both of these franchises are going to be very different in the fact that TOS had its run, got canceled, and it had a resurgence. So people were clamoring for more of that thing. So do I think a series starring the original TOS cast uh, would have done well. It, it probably would have did all right with the <laughs> with the updated. What about a recast of them? A recast? Uh, no, because you're recasting the characters, and I don't think that that's what we got in Who either. If we're making the comparison, mm-hmm. so with Who, I think at the end of his run, it had sort of like the Trek did in the '80s and '90s. It kind of just there was too much of it or people had just start to lose interest a bit. So in that aspect, I think it's very different. So when we get the, the who would Eccleston, I think they are trying to re uh, to bring life back into the franchise, which I think with all, with both of them, again, very different. I think for Dr. Who, I just think we needed time to bring in fresh new ideas and a new take on the whole franchise. Whereas in Star Trek, people were just clamoring for it because it went away too early. You know, it's kind of, kind of weird how those two work out. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think Clarence has nailed it. And, um, you know, there was a plan for a Star Trek series in the seventies with the original cast and that cable TV made that possible. And then came Star Wars and Paramount suddenly sort of sat up and said, wait, Wait, don't 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 we own a a, a space franchise? <laughs> Can't we get in this game too? While, while Universal was over there saying, "Hey, didn't George come over here saying he wanted to do Flash Gordon? <laughs> Why don't we do Flash Gordon?" <laughs> it's like, oh boys, George Lucas has said everybody's spinning. But you know, uh, so what we got was Star Trek: The Motion Picture. You know, thank God because um, that put the series and its concepts back enough in the mainstream public's eye to justify uh, next generation. And I'm, I was around, you know, that enough to know that there were a lot of people who said Star Trek won't work without 
Leonard Nimoy in it. Mm. Don't don't try to show me the captain's chair and have somebody who isn't William Shatner sitting in it. I don't buy it. A lot of people said it. And, uh, you know, I always think that's one of the victories of Next Generation is it proved them wrong. And that meant it opened the door to do a series where, you know, maybe the captain looks like Clarence. <laughs> maybe maybe the captain looks like, maybe the captain is a woman, even though we've been told flat out that women can't be starship captains. Maybe maybe we can go in any direction from here that we want. Wait, Star Trek did this a mere 20 years before Doctor Who? Yeah. yeah, that's a slight dig. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Yes, we did. I liked how you said that. Where we can go any direction we want, and I like that because you want to know why. Mm. I want to go in the direction of asking Clarence for everyone listening: How would they, if they have only listened to discussing who and have never listened to discussing Trek? How would they find Discussing Trek? You can find at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias, as well as going to DiscussingTrek.com. Awesome. And for everyone listening, Discussing Who, of course, if you're listening, can be found at DiscussingWho.com. So, Lee, before you tell people who are listening what you like telling them on every episode, relatively (laughs) speaking... If there were a podcast that you and Clarence and I were all involved in that has reached its sci-fi conclusion and can be listened to in its entirety, what might that show be? And what do you like telling people? I would like to send people over to relativitypodcast.com where, where folks are telling me that they uh, they enjoyed listening to Relativity when episodes were coming out weekly, but binging the whole thing is sublime. And that's a really, uh, I, uh, that always delights me because that was not my plan or expectation. But so I'm glad it worked out that way. But the episodes are short and they're intriguing, and I think you'll dig it. So relativitypodcast.com. And with that and this show, one of the things that is the same is that we recognize you got other things you could have been doing. But you joined us for this conversation. So thank you for your time, the gift of your time. Indeed. Yes, indeed. And I do wish to, before we conclude, correct you on one thing that you said about relativity. I do need to make a correction. And that correction is you failed to say award-winning relativity. Let's let's say multiple award winning yes multiple 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 award winning (laughs) and the reason i really say that for everyone listening the show the production the story i loved it it made me cry reading it it's awesome go listen it's brilliant it's awesome and for everyone listening we hope you have enjoyed this conversation i've had fun doing it guys i hope you have as well indeed let us know what you think And as always, guess what? We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.